Hey everyone, this is George hitting you with a quick intro. This week's song is Turning Circles to celebrate the 41st anniversary of the Point of Entry album. Our guest is Daniel Drago, co-host of The Diary of the Mad Men, the podcast dedicated to the music of Ozzy Osbourne, and one of our stable mates in the Deep Dive Podcast Network. We kick things off with Dan telling us about his podcast, move on to a general chat about metal, Ozzy, and Judas Priest. Later on, we do a full song breakdown of Turning Circles and give our opinions on Point of Entry. Dan's going to bat for one of his favorite hidden gems in the Judas Priest catalog. So if you don't know the song, let's see if Dan can sell you on Turning Circles. What is up, Metal Maniacs? You've got George. You've got Tom. You've got Dan. And you've got... Another podcast coming. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. I don't know what y'all are drinking, but I've got a cherry bubbly. I have water. Nice. Yeah, you're chugging some beer, aren't you, George? What do you got, George? I've got Winterfest, and this is from the Back East Brewery in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Another local brew? Yes, sir. Brewed with local honey and cinnamon. So I want to say that you can actually taste these flavor notes. You know, sometimes you'll get those beer cans and they'll say brewed with mountain water and stardust and you'll taste it. (laughs) You'll drink it and you'll say, well, it just kind of tastes like beer. Yeah. (laughs) But this time I think it's actually right. I actually do taste cinnamon in there. That's lovely. It's nice when you can actually taste what they say you're supposed to taste. Like there was this one beer I tried. It was, I actually drank it on an episode too. I'm pretty sure it was the most ridiculous beer that I think I've ever had. Was it purple monkey dishwasher Porter? (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was something else. It was like raspberry and nougat and lactose and yogurt and shit. And I, but it was like, it had like an over 9% alcohol rating. And I was like, well, it tastes like gasoline, so I don't taste any of that shit. <laughs> well, I was drinking coffee until I decided to spill it all over my goddamn computer. Then your computer decided to have some coffee, too. Yeah, exactly. My favorite part of this whole show has been when you logged on, Tom, I had the camera right into my chest. And, I was like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, what the hell does he think is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to clean off the, my computer. so it was I, mean, Liz, I, I didn't think nothing of it, so all you're right, good. good. Thank yeah. you. But the best part is that I I spilled this like plastic cup that had like all the sparkling shit inside of it. It was one of my wife's and the like little sparkly things got everywhere. And I'm talking like all over my apartment. I don't know how they got into the bathroom, but (laughs) there they are. You should have just told your your guests that you redecorated everything with glitter. Yeah. I mean, they would have believed it, honestly. They would have been like, that makes sense. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, or you're at the titty bar. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of both you guys and your podcast. And thank you. Obviously a huge Judas Priest fan as well. So this is right up my alley. Dude, we are honored to have you on our show. It's been a lot of fun so far. Let's keep, let's keep this fucking going. Yeah, definitely. I know how you feel, man, because you get to talk Ozzy all the time. Now you finally get to break out of your box and talk about a different band. 
That's right. And obviously the uh, invitation is going to be there for both of you guys. Well, Whenever you, you want to come on the show, let's definitely fucking Hell yeah. work that out. Did you guys grow up in big towns, small towns? Small town. Um, about 45 minutes outside New York City. Um, suburb. Yeah. So we grew up in a relatively close-knit community. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, living in the sticks necessarily, but it, we definitely were not living in like a major metropolitan area either. How did you guys meet? Oh, this is a great story. So we had a friend named Alex who walked up, who introduced me and George in school. Um, and we just started talking and then I gave him my number. And one day I'm sitting at home on my computer and I just get a call from a random number and I pick up and he says, Hey Tom, I'm coming over to your house. <laughs> and that, and that was the start That's of it awesome well, how so how long do you guys know each other now well like 15 ish years probably yeah about 15 awesome. years we've been lifelong buddies basically so that's why part of the reason that was one of the reasons we started this podcast it's like well who the hell else am i gonna talk to judas priest about all day that's exactly why we started the aussie podcast seriously for the same now we didn't have the same history we literally met on a uh fan board cool. and you know but before you knew it we were just we started talking every day and we were like fuck we were searching for aussie podcasts and we really didn't find anything that we didn't think we could do as good or better and we were like fuck it let's just try it and it's been amazing can't agree more man we just one day said you know screw it let's try it yeah we can do it yeah i'm so glad you guys went down that path and the same Thank with you. us we you know, Rye, Rye had the Sabbath podcast, but we didn't really see an Aussie podcast anywhere. So we were mm. like, fuck it, let's just do it ourselves. And really, we just are taping conversations we have. I mean, it's not uncommon for Josh and I to get on the phone and talk for an hour and a half. Yeah. And we were like, fuck it, let's just start recording our conversations. Yeah, basically. Drinking a beer and talking about metal. I mean, yeah, exactly. that's what you and me would be doing on a normal night anyway. You know, the amazing thing is, is do you guys ever feel pigeonholed? being just priest, like, you know, we're just Aussie for the most part, you know, we'll, we'll expand into like black label society and stuff like that. But, you know, there's a part of me that sometimes goes, fuck it. Let's just do a second all metal podcast. I think that at this point, metal is so broad. If you don't pick a topic, then you need to find some sort of angle because if I had a show just about metal, what is sort of making my show unique and separating it from all the other metal shows? So right. here we have this unique angle, like we're the only one doing a deep dive into the Judas Priest songs that haven't been discussed to death yet. I love that. And we're the same idea in a way on talking about topics that people don't talk about, right? We're not going to talk about the goddamn Alamo or him biting the head off a dove and a bat. I just don't want to hear that. Or fucking definitely not the Osbournes. I just don't want to hear that shit. We're going to talk about you know, waiting for darkness or osmosis or just stuff that people don't talk about that the, that the fans love. I have always loved exploring obscure subject matter. And obviously priest is not obscure, but you know, a lot of some of their topic. music is exactly. So the fact that we get to go into albums that people don't really think twice about, you know, we're not just talking about the hits and, you know, George, like he kind of had to pitch me the idea of the podcast. It's like, well, Priest has a 50 year career. 
Right. And the format that I have in mind is talking about it song by song. You've got years worth of content. And that was really when it clicked for me. I was like, okay, we could definitely do this. Yeah. It's interesting. You guys do a whole topic on just songs. I haven't thought about that yet, but it's something we might eventually explore. We're kind of all over the map, whatever we, we don't, we want to be unpredictable, you know, with a guest sure. or yeah. we do an album dive or we do, we like our lists, you know, we're big on the top 10 lists. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just try to be unpredictable just to keep it fresh, but you're right. Same with Ozzy 50 plus year career. It's easy. To, I think it's easy to do this for years and, and draw from material. Yeah. And listen, I mean, if you pick like any song, you could easily find an hour's worth of things to discuss on Goodbye to Romance or Fire in the Sky or like the list goes on. Yeah, definitely. All right. Unless you start, you know, ripping on Ozzy, then maybe. (laughs) Well, anyone who rips on Ozzy, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. So we will fight that person side by side with you. I agree. It drives me crazy because it seems like fucking right off the gate, man, that 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 it's he's such an easy target, you know? He but, is, but I feel like it's one of those things where people only seem to make lighthearted jabs at him about his like his slurred speech or his drug use or stuff like that. But I don't know how I can't recall ever hearing anything particularly malicious leveled at him. But yeah, you know, they the whole Ozzy and Priest doesn't have this. And I'm sorry, the Ozzy thing with the Ronnie Dio versus Ozzy thing just gets so old for me, man, because I'm actually a big fan of both of them. Obviously, bigger Ozzy fan, but it, it makes it hard sometimes. People get a little too religious about their taste in music, don't yeah. they? That'd be like the Al Atkins fans coming out saying they like him better than Rob. You know what I mean? <laughs> You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. It's it, to me, man. It's like, listen, you can like Coke and Pepsi. It's not like you have to choose. Yeah, exactly. Heaven and Hell is one of my all-time favorite records. So is Holy Diver. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Agreed. Dude. Absolutely. We over here, we tend to also enjoy a wide variety of what Priest has done. And even some of Halford's solo work actually turned out pretty great. Love it. These days, I I would say the main argument that Priest fans have is whether or not K.K. Downing should be out of the band or in the band at this point. And there are people who definitely take Mr. Downing's side with his solo project that, I don't know, I didn't think was that good, but some people love it. I didn't like it at all. But I think we talked about it. I'm not a big fan of Ripper's voice. Mm. I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm a huge Ice Earth fan. And Matthew Barlow was one of my favorite singers, and I did not like the Ripper era. And same thing with Priest. I love Cathedral Spirals. I love that song. To me, that's as good as anything. Yeah, but I love, you know what, not to sound like an old fuck, but I love that you guys are younger and love this style of music. I mean, to me, that's encouraging, you know? All right. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, like, cause I think a lot of us started out in the same vein. It started when we were kids. You know, my dad is the first person who ever showed me Judas Priest. And it's the same with George. Right. Um, so it's a really cool generational kind of music getting passed down from one to the next. See, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. And oh, on that note, Dan, we like to start off anytime we have a new friend on our show. We have to know how you got into Priest. Awesome. So I was pretty young. I'd say it was 1981. So coincidentally, the Priest album out at the time was Point of Entry, Point of Entry. which we're going to be talking about today. But ironically, my brother, I have two older brothers. My oldest brother is five years older than me. And he and a couple of his friends were big into metal. At that time, we were discovering Ozzy, Sabbath, ACDC, Scorpions, all of the classics. And nice. Just imagine 1981. And then, of course, also Maiden, of course, was a big one. But Priest was just huge. I mean, outside of Ozzy and Sabbath, I was most always attached to Priest. Just something about their sound, and we'll get into it. But the big record at the time was still British Steel, even though Point of Entry was the latest record. But I hate to say this, but it was not really well received, even by my brother or my brother's friends. We had it, but it was still listening to Stained Class, listening to British Steel, discovering Hellbent for Leather. We even had Killing Machine. I had the live, I think I was telling you the live Japanese version of Unleashed in the East. So I just worked all the way backwards. I had Hero Hero, that that crappy best of Judas Priest that I think Gull Records put out. And then that that was it, just the gateway through uh, my older brother. That is so cool. So now we all have the connection. All three of us have been introduced to Priest through family. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then, of course, my my love for metal grew and expanded, and I got into black metal and death metal. And but I ne- and I know you guys are as well, and I love hmm. that. But I never lost the love I had for the original metal that I discovered. It's still my favorite music. I hate to say it, but you know, Ozzy, Priest, Maiden, ACDC, those are my favorite bands, man. Why do you hate to say that? That's nothing to be yeah. like. That's nothing to like lament over. I don't think. No. Yeah. It's like that's, that's a good some point. some fucking like, dude. That's like that. Their music is still great. That's why we started this podcast is because Priest is still great, even in comparison to modern bands. You know. That's right. It's true. And, and there's so much modern music that just still rips off Priest to this day. Sure, yeah. absolutely, man. Like, it's an entire fucking genre right now that's basically, well, not ripping off, but heavily inspired by Priest. You know, yeah, well, now you, you've got the new wave of traditional metal, which borrows almost exclusively from classic metal bands. Oh, no question. I love a lot of those bands as well. I believe personally, and this could be a stretch, but I firmly believe it, but the second wave of power metal was basically painkiller. And bands like Primal Fear and uh, Hammerfall and Nocturnal Mm -hmm. Rights, all of those guys were just really ripping off Painkiller, which was amazing. They really really had a second lease on life with Painkiller. Yeah, man. And you're right about that Primal Fear comparison. Like, that's a band that started after their singer basically didn't get selected in an audition to replace Rob Halford. You know, I've never, I've never listened to primal fear. So if you could choose a song that encapsulates what you just said, what song would I listen to? Oh, any of anything off of their first (laughs) two or three albums. I'm not exaggerating. It literally is. Their priest worship to the max. Yeah. Priest. Mm. Yeah. 
<laughs> and German. Oh, well, you know, there's like, there's a few bands like um, Falkundra is essentially a dissection cover band and they right. admit it and they admit it themselves. Yeah. And Massacre was basically just a ripoff of death. Mm. You remember those guys? I mm. don't actually believe it or not. Yeah. Well, Rick Ross and Terry Butler were in on Leprosy on the death album and then they got booted out and just uh, went back to Massacre, which was a band they did with Cam Lee and it's exactly mm. death. Early oh, yeah. death, like scream bloody gore death. Terry Butler was in Six Feet Under for yeah, like that's right. a long time. Yeah. Very cool. I'm learning some metal trivia. Yeah, here there's today, a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of interesting connections going on. You know, you, the amount of musicians. Well, first of all, just the amount of musicians that have been a part of death, like Gene Hoglin was also with death. Yeah, I saw sure. that tour. No, he was. Oh, so he hell was, yeah. He so I saw Dark Angel open for Death wow. at a little club out here in the Mason Jar in the, in the late 80s. And that was before Gene Hoagland was in uh, Death. And it was wow. amazing. It was on Death's, uh, I'm going to say, spiritual healing tour. So, yeah, for sure, because James Murphy was in the band. So that, to me, was amazing. And Gene Hoagland, one of my all-time favorite drummers, I'm sorry. We say this all the time on the Aussie podcast. I don't know if it's Hoagland or Hoagland. We have all of these we argue about, but... He was like larger than life. His head was almost touching the ceiling. I've never seen a drummer play so effortlessly. He's a mm. god. Yeah, well, his credentials are flawless. He was yeah. like, he's with um I know he played with Strapping Young Lad. Yep. Mm-hmm. A few other was no, I don't don't ask me why, but I for some reason confuse um Gene Hogland's work with Paul Bostaff for some reason. <laughs> oh, okay. And I, I know Those are two no journeyman idea. drummers. Yeah. Both were in a lot of thrash bands. Yeah. yeah, I love Gene's work with Testament. I was and just going to say that. Okay. That's right. Yeah. That's anytime, right. Mm-hmm. anytime that Gene joins a band, they just go up to another level. Yep. And you know what death is? You know, it, they're like the musical equivalent of a movie, like some unknown underground movie that has a ton of people who became stars later. Right. Like something like Wet Hot American Summer, where it's yeah. like. Uh, 10 different people who would become like comedy icons a decade yeah, later that you could never get all those guys in one movie again right they're like absolutely. all a-listers now yeah and now the members of death have all gone on to have such insane long illustrious careers and chuck sheldoner had like the good foresight to kind of break all of these excellent musicians no question. That's a great point. That's a great observation. I, death is still my favorite death metal band. I'm going to be honest, even though I prefer Swedish death metal by far. But mm. something about those first two or three death albums, they're amazing. But I remember buying, I mean, I miss the days of just going to the record store and buying a record because you like the album cover or you like the label they were on. Half of the shit I bought, I had never even heard before. There's something about death in particular that makes them stand apart from other bands of the time is that each album had a different lineup because Chuck wanted each album to have a different sound and stand out from one another. So the lineup was constantly getting cycled. And in this case, I wouldn't even call it a lack of stability necessarily, but it really, I think, benefited the band because no death album sounds like another. Yeah, that's a great point too. Absolutely. And they obviously got more progressive as time went on. Oh, yeah. and speaking of which, Death also does probably the yeah. best cover of Painkiller. That's right. Yeah. Man, like, I, I, he, sang, he sings amazing on that. 
Yeah, he wails, man. And I'm like, I'm not the biggest fan of Schuldner's vocals, but on his painkiller track, he is doing things I have never heard a vocalist do. So Dan, here's a cool question that we asked Eric from the Maiden podcast on our deep yep. dive channel. If Judas Priest and Iron Maiden did a compilation where they covered each other's songs, sort of like punk bands used to do back in the day, what would you want to hear them do? So I think I want to pose that to you. Like if, That's a tough one. If, so- if Priest and Ozzy were okay. to cover each other's songs, what would you want to hear? Okay, perfect. That that's really easy for me from the Ozzy perspective because I think Electric Eye would be perfect for Ozzy because those verses mm. are very Ozzy-ish, you know. Out yeah, that sort things. of creepy voice. Yeah, yeah. I can you know, hear it. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize how similar Ozzy and Halford sound when Halford uses that I call his normal tone. You know what sure. I mean? Where it's where sure. it's more lower register but he's got a lot of Aussieisms in it i don't know if it's the birmingham relation but i think ozzy would totally nail obviously maybe not some of those high notes but but just in general ozzy would kill i think electric eye now priest doing an ozzy song i you know i'm gonna go off the record here a little bit and say perry mason i think i think rob singing that one would be pretty cool because ozzy is really high on that song and i think i think rob would be able to really nail it yeah i think that the riff would sound really cool in Glenn's guitar tone, especially yeah. the kind of tone that they had in the Jugulator and Demolition days, like when they're going into drop D and chugging. I think right. they could pull off Perry Mason like that. Yeah, I think that would be really, really cool because I could really hear Rob just really hitting that one. Ozzy is really high on osmosis, man. I know what you guys mean? talk about that album all the time. All the time, I know. Mad Men. <laughs> It's uh, could, it's our secret love right there. I could also oh, see Halford doing. Um, I could see Priest covering um, "Walk on Water" too. Oh, that's a cool choice. That's awesome. a good. Yeah, that's that has got to be my favorite Ozzy song. I think. Wow. Yeah. Written with him and Jim Valance. I like. Do you like the demo better, or do you like the uh, version on the actual soundtrack? Um, I don't know which one I've heard. Um, pr- I would probably. I got to be honest, I didn't know there were even two versions of it. Yeah. One is re- produced and done by Jim Valance as the demo, which I prefer and okay. Ozzy prefers. And the one on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack was produced by Moby. And Ozzy's, 
And Ozzy's got this really weird filter on his voice. I don't like it nearly as well. Ah, gotcha. It's probably yeah. the demo version then. It's yeah. The, dem- the demo, um, is it this one? Uh, the demo is, yep, that's it. It says demo yeah. right next to it. Yep, yeah, that's man. the one. That's the, the better version. Yeah, that's a that's a great version. But that was where my wife remembered hearing it. And she kind of went on a hunt for this song because she couldn't find it. She's like, I-, I don't remember, but it was on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. That's awesome. Yeah. I w- can I give a caveat to that answer too? Another Go one just course. popped into my head, and this one's going to sound a little weird, but I'm a gigantic 70s priest fan. I can hear them doing Revelation Mother Earth as well, and I think that would be spectacular mm-hmm. because I think Rob would really do a well job singing that one, and all that classical playing. I, I think you know a lot of that 70s stuff that Priest did had a lot of classical inspired stuff going on you can sort of see something like that going on sad wings of destiny yeah exactly or sin after sin even oh yeah so daniel this is another thing is so i understand that sin after sin is one of your favorite priest albums as well yeah 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 i'm on so anyone who listens to the show will know that I'm on a crusade to get people to listen to that album. I love that. So that's my osmosis, by the way, is Sin After Sin is a perfect example of that. It's uh, it's forgotten about, and it is brilliant front to back. I think Dissident Aggressor is probably the heaviest, most progressive song outside of some Sabbath in the whole decade of the 1970s. And I love shit like Here Come the Tears. I mean, when I don't know if he's ever sang like that before or after again. Here Come the Tears and Last Rose of Summer, just gorgeous. I love that record. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, for my money, some of Priest's first metal songs are on that album. Yeah, and I think the double kick that Simon, uh, what the hell is Simon's last name? The Phillips. Drummer. Phillips, yeah. The, the double kick that Simon Phillips is doing is so ahead of its time, man. It's yeah. so... You know, it's funny. A lot of people look at it as Exciter as the first thrash song, but I think it's either Sinner or definitely Let Us Pray. Mm-hmm. You know, or even the- Dissident Aggressor. I mean, yeah. come on. It was a cover on one of Slayer's best, yeah. most famous albums, South of Heaven. To be honest, I don't really like the cover very much. Priest's version crushes it, but they do a fine job. You know, but yeah, you're right. That. That song has barely changed at all, really. Yeah, Maybe just really the uh, the breakdown when he, they're hitting those three chords in the middle. Sure. But other than that, yeah, it's very, very similar. And they play it today, and it sounds so fresh and heavy. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I yeah, mean, they I, won a Grammy for it in 08 or 09. Holy shit. Is that off a touch of evil the live album that's right yeah the, the live version from when they brought it back in the halford reunion era yeah they won a grammy for that that's that pretty cool. So cool yeah 
you know, that to me, I hate when the Grammys do that sort of shit because that's like Ozzy winning a Grammy for, um, I think Sabbath won for Iron Man off of like reunion or some bullshit. And it's like that to me, it's just them paying homage to these greats, which is great. But, you know, where the fuck was the love at the time? And now there's no love for the bands who are doing innovative and cool things in the metal scene today. I mean, honestly, if we're thinking back to 09, they could have given that award to Opeth or Mastodon, like someone who really needed that attention. Well, let's be real, too. I mean, the music establishment in the United States, at least, doesn't consider metal to be music. It's like, it's not a valid, like, you know what I mean, though? It's like, it's not a valid form of art. It's like, oh, metal is just screaming and kids in their garage. And it's never gotten the respect here that it does in other parts of the world. Like, Watain has won the Swedish equivalent of a Grammy. And it's wild to see, you know, like, Nurgle from Behemoth was dating some Polish pop star for the longest time. Metal can top the charts in Germany. Yeah, yeah. man. Like, like, and you go to festivals, you go to music festivals, and there'll be metal bands playing with like pop and hip hop bands in this on different stages. That sort of thing doesn't happen here, man. I think everyone remembers the infamous, um, I don't remember what year it was, but when Metallica was at the Grammys and they lost to fucking Jethro Tull for best I'm metal act. 89, I want to say, but 89 or 90. But the funny thing is that's the first time they ever did that. That was the first category in the Grammys history of best metal album. So that was the first time they ever had that award. Was that and- and they were the just Grammys like, made they're, up they're, for it by kissing Metallica's ass for many years to come. They've won yeah. like at least eight of them or something. <laughs> yeah, but it was I remember watching it live and you have yeah, again seeing Metallica perform on the Grammys for the first time because they performed one that night live. And, you know, it was just mind blowing. I mean, growing up with them through, you know, like I said, I discovered them on Ride the Lightning and the Master Puppets and Justice. And then all of a sudden to see them playing the Grammys, it was fucking mind blowing. That's like, okay, metal is, well, here it's always been legitimate, but now it's like, okay, in the eyes of the establishment, it's legitimate. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it goes back to that whole metal is a disrespected genre of music because in their minds, it's like, there's no fucking way we're giving an award to Metallica. It's just not going to happen. So uh, I I, I don't fucking know. Give it to Jethro Tull. Who cares? (laughs) I hate to say it, not to be Debbie Downer, I do a lot of football coaching and I coach a lot of kids that are, you know, 15, 14, 15 years old. And that's when it's really noticeable how much the the musical landscape is gone. It's nothing but hardcore rap, nothing. And I, I have to listen to it all the time when we're traveling and doing tournaments or I'm out on the football field. I don't even know if these guys know who Judas Priest really is. And that's not, I'm not being funny. That is no, I, I believe it. And it's fucking heartbreaking. And discouraging, and the music is terrible. I hate to be another old man sound, but I can't stand that modern rap shit. No, but modern modern music, man, it's it's. I understand when people like Gene Simmons says rock is dead. I really do. It breaks my heart to say it. It's thriving, like for people like you and I, and in the underground, there's more bands today than ever that do this shit. But in the in the eyes of pop culture, it is dead. You know, Dan, that's not even so different than the experience that Tom and I had growing up. I mean, we went to high school in the mid to late 2000s. And by that time, 
Rabbit already well overtaken anything else as the dominant genre. And Judas Priest among our age group still was not well known. Like if I had to think about like the average person that I went to high school with, I think the only two names they would have heard of are Metallica or Ozzy. Mm. Isn't that yeah, amazing? like the household names, but yeah. It really was kind of a small group of us who were dedicated, passionate metalheads in our community. It's not that much different, but I mean, listen, I certainly can't speak on behalf behalf of the youth of America anymore. I don't really interact, but you said you were a little far removed from the youth of America. Yeah, Yeah. but coaching football, like you have to hear that shit all the time. So you're actually more tapped into this than we are at this point. Yeah, it's. It's definitely different, but I, I'm glad to hear you guys say that it's really not gotten much different because it was kind of like that when you guys were in high school where, you know, it's been a long time for me, that, but that's exciting. It's kind of encouraging to hear that, to be perfectly honest. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Well, listen, like we did, I guess we could say we did our good deed for the day. <laughs> no God exactly. podcast, doing good for the world <laughs> nope. and the metal community. Hey. You heard it here. You know, it's amazing. The one thing I want to talk a little bit to you guys about Priest before we get started is, you know, I was doing my research and stuff, and it kind of surprises me that their their chart success back in their heyday isn't as high as I would have expected. You know, I, I agree with I was that. Just, like British Steel, I think, only peaked at 34 on the top 100 album chart, and that fucking shocked me, man. Their best-selling album, Screaming for Vengeance, that's only sold a couple million. Right. Yeah. You know, I always think of Priest being this, not that they're not a behemoth, but, you know, I, I always thought they were even more popular than they really are. You know, I think maybe in the live setting, in the concert setting, that's 100% true. But maybe the album sales didn't translate to that because I don't think they ever had quite as much radio play as ACDC or Guns N' Roses or Pink Floyd. And I'm just naming three bands off the top of my head that have sure, broke sure. that 20 million sales mark that priest never even got close to. Yeah. I mean, and a couple of million, a couple of million albums is nothing to sneak uh, that. I mean, I yeah. Was band. yeah, but you know, I just, I, I had expected them like Ozzy's considered a disappointment because no rest for the wicked, like hit 13 on the charts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. that was, that was a disappointment. So it was just kind of ironic to me that I was looking at the charting and I was just like, wow, I never realized I'm going to have to do the same thing with Maiden. I bet you Maiden's in a similar ballpark. I'm not talking about Brave New World on. I'm talking about like Peace of Mind. and, and Sure. The yeah. Well, Priest has never had like a number one single, but I think it also has to do with, you know, the fact that the people that it has reached, you know, it's left such an impact on them because Priest's music is so good and it is so consistently what, what, what word am I looking for right now? Hard hitting, I guess, for the time it's made. And it Priest really survives the test of time with almost everything they make. 
So they leave a huge impact in their live performances. Like if you ask anyone, hey, what are like your top 10 favorite concerts you ever been to? Probably nine times out of 10. If they've seen Priest, Priest is somewhere on that list. Yep. Great point. Absolutely. How many times have you guys seen them? Uh, Once. Three times for me. Yeah. Once for me. I'm going on my second time. We're going to, it's the second time we're doing that um, next month. So that that's going to be its whole, its own episode. That's awesome. Yeah. I think me, me and George are trying to figure it out. What I think my, my final number was eight, right, George, something like that. Yeah. You've seen priest. Yeah. I've seen it quite a bit. Yeah. First time I saw him was on the Ram it down tour, which was (laughs) pretty cool. Even though it's probably my least liked album by them, but um, it's a lot, you know, they didn't, they didn't play a lot. I think it's a lot of, I think Ram it down is a lot of people's least liked album. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get into it. I actually think turbo is way better than Ram it down personally. All right. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was a great show. Slayer opened, and you know they were fucking amazing on that tour. Oh, that, that's yeah. sick, dude. Yeah, Slayer in like their prime has got yes, to be Alpha like Heaven a, for Slayer. Oh, yeah. that's like yeah. transcendent. It was so good. What I'm obsessed about uh, with Priest is the Twin Turbos record. I'm always looking for information on Twin Turbos. I was just having a conversation. Are you guys familiar with Twin Turbos? I'm not. Okay. Yeah, let's George? talk about that because that's always an interesting thing. So, yeah. Tom, in 1986, Judas Priest conceived the idea that Turbo could be a double album with oh, like okay. 20 songs. And Jesus. the record company, they weren't too fond of that idea. They said, mm. just do two albums. Mm. Okay. So, Rim It Down has some songs that are left over from the Turbo sessions. But some of the songs written for Twin Turbos, the mm. double album that they were planning, yeah. some of those never emerged. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think three of them haven't. Oh, fascinating. That'd be fun if they brought those back. Like, hey, want to hear a song that no one's ever heard before? Like, <laughs> Well, I am obsessed with one of them. So a lot of the songs that they re-released on all of those special, all of the uh, remasters they did were some of those Twin Turbo songs. And one of them, is Prisoner of Your Eyes that was on the Screaming for Vengeance remaster. But Halford did a version of Prisoner of Your Eyes as well, which I don't know he if did. you guys know that version. I actually I actually prefer the Halford version over the Priest version, but that song is fucking brilliant. I don't know how it didn't make either record. I think it's great too. And I think I know some people who don't like it, so it's, really? it's kind of a hit or miss song. And maybe it didn't rub some people the right way. Maybe whoever was listening to it uh, from the record company, they said, no, this isn't making the cut. But you never know, because maybe if someone else had heard it, they would have loved it. I'll just say this. How do you put Johnny Be Good over Prisoner of Your Eyes? I'll ram it down. Oh my God, 100% right. Yeah. Or even Heart of a Lion. Heart of the Lion is another one of those outtakes that came up on a bonus track and that was great i was gonna say like i don't know how unpopular of an opinion this is but i really don't care for living bad dreams off of the painkiller reissue that was originally cut from its initial release Mm -hmm. and they put it on later and i gotta say i i think i understand why they cut it initially because it doesn't really fit with the rest of the album Right. I think I just I think that you know one shot at glory is such a perfect note to end on for what is already a an exceptional album. 
And living bad dreams, I, I don't care for it all that much. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it either, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That that one is definitely one. You know, it's it's not as bad as maybe Red, White, and Blue, but um, nothing is. <laughs> but living bad dreams is just okay. It's okay. I mean, it's listen, okay. it's it's not one on one. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, on man. Heart of a Lion, you know, he wrote that for his for Surgical Steel, right? Or one of the bands down here That's in right. Phoenix. Yeah, I think it was Surgical Steel. And I think he gave that song to Racer X. And then the crazy thing is, later on, that band's drummer would become Judas Priest's drummer. Yeah. God Travis. That's awesome. And wasn't the drummer of... Yeah, this wasn't the singer of... Who the hell is the singer for Racer X? No idea. I only know them because of the whole Scott Travis connection. Scott Travis thing. I thought maybe the surgical steel guy went into Racer X too or some bullshit. But maybe. Now, down here, you know, Halford lived in Phoenix for a long time. And I think he still know, does, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure. I thought I thought maybe I'd read he went back to LA, but he might still be here. In the early days when he was younger, you, you would you'd run into a rob at a club out here. It'd be pretty crazy. That's wild. Imagine just yeah. like seeing like a legend just sitting at the bar drinking whatever the hell Rob Halford drinks. And it's just like, oh hey, what's going on? <laughs> right, and super that must approachable. Oh, dude, yeah, absolutely. He's considered one of the nicest guys too. Like I've yeah. never ever had a story of someone meeting Halford and him not being just the nicest guy. Yeah, agreed. I've heard stories, you know, like before I met Eric Danielson from Watain, I heard stories about like how he was kind of an unagreeable, unpleasant person to be around, and I met him, and I thought it was like this guy's really chill. I don't know what the problem is. Like, wow. But the, the, the you difference just it, well with him. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're both Satanists. We're both into black metal. So that's a good starting go. point. I, but <laughs> I guess I had like the opposite experience. I've just, I've never heard of anyone having a bad experience with Halford. People only sing his praises pun intended. Okay. Yeah. No question. What do you say? We talk a little point of entry. Hell yeah. Yes. Awesome. So I recently listened to this album for the first time and was surprised by like what a feel good sort of rock and roll record this almost is. Perfect stated, perfectly stated, man. It is a rock record. Yeah, like I'm not wrong, right? Like I'm not crazy. Okay, not at all. It is like it's So, so much fun. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear more about what you thought, Tom, because. This is, you've only been exposed to point of entry pretty recently. Yeah. And you've heard so so many other Priest albums before this. Like you love Painkiller, you love Firepower, and now point of entry compared to that kind of stuff. That's got to be a big left field turn. Yeah. Well, you know, I recently got hooked on um, Turning Circles. I was on a big kick with that the last two days. And I, am really surprised by how sort of lighthearted this is because you know priest is not necessarily like the heaviest or the darkest band but they do tend to tackle darker subject matter and take a a bit of a a, like a more serious approach and this is feels like almost like a party album and i mean that in the best sense of the word it reminds me of like driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour with the top down the highway yeah there you go hit it george 
ironically, the record was made in Spain, and I was just reading a clip uh, that Ian Hill was talking about how they did a lot of motorcycle riding while they were there. That makes and, so much sense. Yeah, and I think that really just went into the music when they were doing all the songwriting. I mean, that's what Desert Plains is about, right? Them, you know, riding motorcycles, heading out to the highway. It is a feel-good record, you know, uh, yeah. hot rocking, totally a up-tempo feel-good song. Yeah, and I think that, and just- that's... You go ahead. No, no, I was going to say it's so approachable and like easy to get into. There's just a really, really fun energy about this album. I think it's so underrated. And listen, heading out to the highway and, and desert plains, I feel are considered classics. Like I finally think desert plains has got there. Like you go see a Judas priest live show and they break out desert plains. I think most people are pretty excited about that because it's a great fucking song. And plus they play it about 200 times faster than what the record is. But, you know, I think there's a lot of understated stuff on this record that people don't give it enough credit. It is a very up-tempo record. And I think that's where a lot gets lost in the shuffle. And I think I can make an argument, you know, obviously sandwiched between British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance, it's almost going to be fucking impossible to really live in between those two records, right? Two of the greatest records of all time. But That's a big part of what makes it obscure, I think. Yeah, agreed. But if you look at those two records, like even Grinder, you know, Grinder, everybody think that's not a very heavy song. Listen to Grinder. It's not any different than what's on point of entry. Listen to you don't have to be old to be wise. Now the guitars might be a smidge gainier and Rob's hitting a few more high notes, but they're very, very similar songs. Jump to Screaming for Screaming for Vengeance. You have um, Bloodstone, not very heavy. You have Pain and Pleasure, you know, not very heavy. There's there's a lot of that stuff in that era that is very similar to Point of Entry. The only thing is, is Screaming for Vengeance has Screaming for Vengeance. You know, British Steel has Rapid Fire. And those songs really make it seem a lot heavier of a record than what they really are. Yeah, well, those are like metal albums, I think. But when I hear Point of Entry, I'm thinking this is straight up rock and roll. And but I there, mean, there's that, some rock and roll elements, I think, on those other records. Well, yes, but yeah. I don't know if I would describe Point of Entry as a metal album necessarily. It's right. It's a straight up like hard rock and album. It's and I really like that. You know, Point of Entry is actually a pretty apt title. If you were going to show someone Priest, it's like here, here's your Point of Entry. This is the most probably one of the most approachable albums they have it's i wouldn't call it's not like easy listening but it's not like necessarily harsh on the ears either it's like yeah man i can i can i can fuck to this the band had that same idea (laughs) and back in the day glenn said that this new record was supposed to be an introduction to priest circa the 1980s that's That's perfect yeah agree which is kind of weird since british still came out in 1980 but I understand his point. And actually, On the Run, to me, is a precursor to Screaming for Vengeance record. That opening lick on On the Run sounds like it is like a bloodstone. It's just, it's very 80s. Bloodstone is, that's a, that's a, uh, that's one of my favorite priest songs. Yeah, it's awesome. Are you familiar with On the Run? No, I'm not. Definitely check it out, Tom. It's awesome. Okay. What a great way to end that record. All right. Uh, point of entry. What do you think of On the Run, George? On the Run, definitely one of the better songs on Point of Entry. You know, I like that 
it's one of the most up-tempo. I like the faster songs on this record. I think that, you know, some of the slower ones, they're sort of lacking in energy. They lose me. But songs like Desert Plains and On the Run, then that's sort of where it grabs me back in. And of course, uh, All the Way, amazing. I fucking love that song. I, every time I'm, I work, you know, I like to go to the gym and work out and stuff. That is definitely on my playlist. All the way is such a great energetic rock song. Yeah. The whole album oozes positivity, just like you said, Tom. But what slow songs would you consider on the record? Really just solar angels. And that's probably the heaviest song on the record. Yeah. I would consider don't go troubleshooter. You say yes. Yeah. You say yes. Circles a little to be pretty slow. I don't think turning circles is slow. I definitely, maybe they're mellower, but I don't know if it's slow. You know, don't go. I don't think don't go slow either. That's such a feel good chorus. It's an odd first single, but it's a good feel. It's a good, good first chorus. Dan, when I asked you to come on the show, I asked you about a short list of songs that you would be excited to talk about. And one of them was turning circles. Now I have to admit, this isn't a song that I gave much thought to. So I'd love to get your perspective and hear what makes the song so special to you. First and foremost, it's Rob. I think Rob's vocal melody on this song is absolutely awesome because of the little nuances he does in his voice. All, All right. right. So, so I'll go back let's to play the song and then let's break it down. What do you say? Okay, do you want me to talk at all what, what I like about it or because I didn't really say anything? Uh, or do you want to listen first? Yeah, let's take a listen to some clips and then we'll pause okay. it and get into our commentary. Got it. Cool. I'm telling you, once this comes in, it's a lot more faster than you give it credit for. Yeah. But that opening riff is just so fucking nice to listen to. Yeah, isn't it? So it's nice and upbeat. It kind of sounds like, I don't know, you're going to the beach or something. Yeah. It really? I was going to say, it's almost got a reggae, a reggae, vibe. fucking A, a reggae. <laughs> vibe. How do you say that word? Reggae. reggae. Yeah. Reggae. It has a reggae vibe, kind of like, um, <sighs> like you know, the rage like the rage exactly and, and i think that they're kind of picking piggybacking off it but this is much better than the rage Ooh, and don't I'm say sorry. that we're gonna fight all right <laughs> all right now on to the next part Oh, the song is so good. I'm yeah. sorry, man. It is so good. It, that verse is incredible. Rob's melody is just so, 
I don't know, man. I don't know if it's inspiring. It just, it moves me. He's really just got a great, great delivery here with all of his little nuances. Rob is the king of nuances, you know, Straight you know, on, yeah. go back. Listen, all those little notes he's doing. It's a lot more complicated and a lot more interesting than what you first hear. And I think that's what I love about this song. He is the king of nuance. Like, yeah, we talk about this a lot, like in a song like metal gods, the sort of, when he throws in that little extra spin, lines like machines are taken all over the way yeah, he, just, exactly. he finds the exact right place to enunciate things and grab your attention back in yep and he's this song is filled with it listen to even how he sings rearranging right rearrange though I, I can't sing for shit but but if okay. you listen to how he's doing that change change it's all rearranging looking around at the situation there's just so much cool little things that he adds to that melody the vocals are great but what's going on with that lyrics, man? Like, I don't mind the lyrics. To me, you know, we're turning circles. I, I think it's about somebody that doesn't learn from their mistakes and they're repeating and they're just turning, they're turning circles, right? So they're they're moving, they're making the same mistakes and they're not learning, and they're just turning around, around, around and, and making the same bad decisions. That's yeah. exactly the kind of interpretation I wanted to hear. Cause I had no idea what was going on. Like I, the words just weren't adding up to me. Uh, what were you saying, Tom? I was going to say, like, I love the line in the course. We've all got something wrong to say. It's kind of like, it, as far as your interpretation goes, Daniel, it's like, listen, man, like everyone's got some thing that they believe that like other people don't agree with, but it seems like you're really not, not living a good life right now, dude. You gotta, you gotta slow down. You gotta chill a little bit. Right. Go back and see what you're doing, right? Yeah. This take, song kind of gives me Rolling Stone vibes a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I could see that for sure. It's that rock and roll feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Now I'm starting to see your interpretation of how it's sort of dragging down this person's well being, the way you're taking life, you're going to rack and ruin, sort of yeah. like this person's stuck in some sort of behavior pattern that they can't get out of. Or maybe even right. an attitude or a mental health problem they can't seem to break and it's dragging that, them down. I think it's somebody that doesn't take responsibility for their actions. Mm. So they're turning circles. So they're not taking responsibility and they're not trying to fix the, the mess they're in. So yeah. they're continuing to go and make the same mistakes. Right. Cool, they're not like, turning a corner. They're turning yes, circles. circles. Yeah, they're going right. back to the exact same place they were. Yes, it's like, but the cool thing about this song is that the melody and and the construction of the music itself would suggest that it's okay if you learn from this, like I'm telling you that there's time to change this. And it's like, you can do this and you can do it right now, even like that's perfect, Tom. Yeah, that's great, Tom, honestly, because it's exactly what the second verse is saying it. The second verse, Rob is kind of saying, I've been where you've been, but I've I've turned my corner, right? He says, you know, the way things are going on, the way things are going now, your life ain't pleasing. 
had my share of ups and downs. Mm. Don't spend tone, don't spend time rushing around. Yeah. So it's you know, he's definitely saying, I've been in your shoes, but you gotta turn you, you gotta stop turning circles. And I think we've all had that point in life where we're just kind of like spinning our wheels in the mud, kind of stuck, unable to like you're in a rut, you're unable to advance your position. And what's cool is like this is a song coming from someone who's kind of figured this shit out telling you it's like i've been where you've been i know what you're going through and i'm telling you that you could change this you could change it today and it doesn't have to be it's not completely hopeless Be Let's about- think about that. Let's think about the position that Rob Halford was in in 1981. And you say he's figured his shit out. Okay, uh, maybe on a professional level, he's in a band that's going places. But on a personal level, I'm sure he was still going through his share of struggles at the time. In 1981, he was still a gay man in the closet. So this song, if you think about he might even be giving himself his own advice. Oh, how he's going to, about how he's overcome so much before. And he wants to stay positive in the face of the things that he still has to overcome later. And I know he also had alcohol issues as well. And that's the other thing that enters my mind is, is him beating that battle as well. That's right. In between Defenders of the Faith and Turbo, he actually went to rehab. Oh, yep. I didn't know that. Damn, so to, maybe he is singing to himself saying, you know, hey, you're, you're, you know, you keep drinking like this. You're just going to go nowhere. Yeah, I've had family members like not to get too personal or nothing, but I have like experienced some to one extent or another with people who've struggled with addiction. And it is a motherfucker, man. I'll tell you, like it can really, really destroy your life. It's true. Absolutely. And that's sort of to bring home the point that we've made so often, how relatable priest lyrics can be when you really try to break it down and think about what the song is about. And you find that there are these themes that can apply broadly to a lot of different people who are listening. Yeah. Turning circles is so upbeat and positive. It's got like that empowering message that can really, you know, hopefully inspire someone no matter what they're struggling with can inspire someone to take action. Agreed. And I got to state too. I absolutely love the breakdown. Not, are you going to continue to play more of the song, or yes, or sir? Let's do okay. it.
So yeah, guys, I love breakdown. That it's fun, it. man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It and is I, very chill, kind of groovy, almost, man. Like that. This is that, that's the part of the song where it's like, dude, take it easy. Right. I don't. And how do you not sing along with that every time it's on? It's so easy to just get into. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a wonderful breakdown. It's really what a breakdown should be in a song. You know, it, it kind of take it. The tempo doesn't change, but the whole vibe of the song just yeah. becomes chill, just like you said, Tom. Yeah. There's this moment. Um, in a different song, oh yeah, "Shaken" by Eddie Money. That that song has a really cool little breakdown in the middle where the song just slows down and it gets really chill. Like the vibe just is completely different, but it's the same song. So, and it's really nice to see Priest embracing kind of that radio rock that of that was popular at the time. Yep. The producer Tom Allom. He says that Point of Entry was possibly the only album that he was involved in with Priest where they consciously tried to write singles. Hmm. And although in many ways, Point of Entry is one of my favorite Priest albums, if not my favorite, he quotes. Wow, that's awesome to hear. You know, Ian Ian Hill was saying that they didn't purposely write singles for this record, and I don't buy that. Ian Hill denies that. Yeah, he's quoted as saying, we didn't make a conscious effort where we went, we better try and sell this to more teeny boppers. He says, no, there was none of that. It's just we went in the studio and did what we did. And it turned out the way that it did. And I'm kind of in your boat where I think management tried to push them to get on the radio more and they sort of played ball with that. I also read that they wrote a whole nother record that sounded too similar to British steel and the record label said, no, we don't want the same record. So then they came back. Yeah. They came back with point of entry. Uh, So I actually think a lot of this, and I hate to say it because I'm such a big fan of the record, but to me, a lot of this is a living after midnight vibe. A lot of the record is okay. And that was the right off of British steel. It was a big hit for them. And I think it consciously subconsciously, I'm not sure, but that's exactly what I feel like a lot of these songs are trying to do. Yeah, it's got that sort of like party energy, I yes. would say. Yeah, I like and- Turning Circles way better than Living After Midnight personally. But Ooh, blast Yeah, me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I, I think they were trying to get that vibe and that feel and that hit. You know why Point of Entry sounds so similar to Living After Midnight? They all got the exact same drum beat. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's a good point. I was going to say this. You beat me to the punch. I actually think this album, Dave Holland, sounds better than most other Priest records because it's more of a rock record. And I think this suits his sound way better that's than something like Steeler. Because mm-hmm. I love his drums on this record, man. I love them. Because when he does his fills, they sound more flashier. You know what? I got to listen to it again with that context. But yeah, like this is a style of drumming or a style of music. I should say that is much more suited to his particular skill set because, you know, you gotta like, let's be real here. Dave Holland is kind of a one trick pony when it comes to drumming and his fills are never like super flashy or intricate, but on this, I could see where he could really shine. Right. Cause it's, it's so simple. Yeah. You know, I've got another quote from Tom Alam here. He says, 
yes, the feel then was to have a pretty straightforward, solid beat. And if you listen to those most of the tracks, there's nothing complicated going on with the drums. Screaming for Vengeance was a little more elaborate, but they just liked the idea of a really solid, uncomplicated drum beat. And I think that was kind of how Dave Holland was instructed to play. Once he settled on the way he was going to play a track, he was pretty good at sticking to that and not wandering off on an irrelevant tangent. Hmm. It's a great point. And here's the truth. The weird thing about Dave is we know he had the, he had the chops, man. Cause I'll still say the drums on rapid fire are fucking brilliant. They really are. And he, to me, he never really hit that again. You know, that was like maybe his riding on the I, wind, maybe riding on the wind. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you know, and maybe who the hell knows if some of that ram it down stuff was not even a drum machine, which I think it could have been, but rapid fire was clearly, and maybe some of the screaming stuff is his peak riding on the wind. He has a really, he has a pretty decent fill in the beginning of that. Yeah. He's got some, he's like, that's a song where he's definitely showing off his chops and he's, you know, you hear him playing live and he is wildly consistent with his timing he does have his strengths as a drummer he but does. again he's not like the flashiest or most technically impressive drummer but he's still a damn good drummer in his own right agreed and, and listen i think simon phillips and les banks are two of the greatest drummers ever so mm. those are some big sh- big shoes to fill yeah that's a that's a high bar to clear yeah. especially simon phillips that guy is a monster on drums he is the intro to Exciter might be my favorite drum intro of all time Ooh, outside of yeah. maybe Over the Mountain, but fuck, the intro to Exciter is so good. Dissident Aggressor has one of the best drum fills that I've yep. ever heard when the second Halford is like finishing that scream, just fucking comes in like, and the monster. Oh, God. Yeah, so good. Yeah, that blew me away the first time I heard it. And I was like, what the? Fuck, why isn't anyone <laughs> why hasn't anyone told me about this? It's so good. <laughs> but the irony is, is the music on point of entry doesn't call for that. That's no. why I think Dave fits in the pocket really, really good here. Yeah. I, I gotta say I'm inclined to agree. The music is a little more straightforward, like clean cut rock and roll. It's yeah. not as gritty or as heavy as their other albums are, but it's like okay because this album is still really really good you can't even imagine scott travis playing some of these songs yeah and i think live he's probably only played a couple songs with point of entry it's not a very popular album in the concert setting and you kind of get the feeling that if he did get involved in the recording like if he was part of the band the whole time their history then you would probably get a lot of flashy fills and double bass in these point of entry songs that, like you said, it's not really called for. It would sound too out of place. Well, ironically, they started their show with Solar Angels on this tour. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And they don't, they only played four songs live off it on their tour. And that was heading out to the highway Hot Rockin', Desert Plains, and Solar Angels. So more of the four metal songs, right? But they did try Troubleshooter at a few shows. I don't know if you guys know that, but it didn't last very long in the set. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a bummer. 
troubleshooter, only played very little Solar Angels, still comparatively only played a little bit for the rest of their catalog. And a lot of the songs, at least five of them, they've never been played at all. Including our song here, Turning Circles. Never been played live. That's such a bummer. I was that's yeah. such a good live song, though. I know. Yeah. I don't that understand. The breakdown we were listening to before, uh, you kind of get the sense that if they'd been able to make this, if they'd pushed this album harder and tried to make this a hit, that uh, uh, during yeah. the breakdown, that could be a crowd. great crowd sing along. Totally I- agree, man. Well, listen, you know, with the 50 Heavy Metal Years Tour, they are playing songs that haven't been played live ever. So who's to say that they won't revisit Point of Entry at some point? Absolutely. (laughs) But I would rather see them revisit some stuff off Point of Entry than Rockerola, to be perfectly honest. Point of Entry is this very strange piece of Judas Priest history because it falls in between two very popular albums. Yeah. British Steel's a banger. That's a big hit. Screaming for Vengeance, obviously. Another very big hit. Yeah. 1980 and 1982. And then in between them in 1981, you get this album that's just sort of forgotten about. It has a couple major hits, and then the rest of it is a little bit forgotten to time. Can we also talk about how fucking bad the American album cover is. It's horrible. <laughs> I don't understand it. The European album cover is way cooler. Right, it's so this done is both by... pretty bad in my this opinion. Is, but... So this is another thing that I didn't know that there was a difference, that there were they had two different album covers. So you know what? I want to look this up right now because Wikipedia I, be honest, that... I actually quite like the um, album uh, cover, believe it or not. I do too. I like the, the English version, the European version. Okay, so let's see. So... Okay, so um, is the European version the one where it looks like the, he's got it's like the wing of a plane almost? Yes, right. That's, it. The that's the okay, and this has got to be the American version. That's it. The computer okay. paper. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the American version is, is garbage, but it's that European, garbage. yeah, that European one. It it's in. I don't know. Maybe it's because I have like such a fondness for flying, but it evokes something in me that is very like the rest of the album. It's very chill and kind of pleasant, you know. Well, we talked about how much the album makes you feel like you're traveling. We're yeah, driving uh, motorcycles. You're flying to somewhere. I mean, I think it fits with the album. And also the cover was done by the same people that did Killing Machine, Hellbent for Leather. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so they at least had continuity with, with the artists there. It was CBS Records that made them do this god-awful American cover. And I just don't understand it. I, I the interesting no thing is, I feel like the American artwork has more to do with the theme of the album, those rolling hills and the way that you said that they were always biking on motorcycles throughout the recording. And they've got the song desert plains and that landscape on the American cover. Like to me, that just kind of screams desert plains. If desert plains were the title track, then that could have fit. Yo, but like, what's with the uh, computer paper? Yeah, I was always <laughs> I have no I was idea. Say, Tom, but I don't mind the picture, but what is the computer paper? I don't <laughs> understand it. It makes no sense. Is that their pathway into the 80s, maybe? Shit, yeah, man. Your guess knows. is just as good as mine. Yeah. Uh, the European cover is nearly as bad to me. It's so abstract and minimalist. It doesn't 
to me strike the same chord as the overstated album arts of Killing Machine and Screaming for Vengeance. Even British Steel is quite aggressive. It's a big ass razor blade, and he's holding oh. it with his bare hand. Like so iconic. Yeah, that's brutal. You know, like like if you take that image like in its proper context, that's a really striking image. So I do want to be perfectly clear. I obviously my two favorite priest records are Sad Wings of Destiny Sin after Sam. We talked about it. Hell I yes. love their whole career. Screaming for Vengeance, fucking brilliant. Painkiller, brilliant. But I my love for point of entry is as high as it can get, but I know and I'm not ignorant enough to know that they're it's better than those records. I want to be clear that I, I you know, I just think it's better than what people give it credit for. You know, I think it's a fun, solid record. I think Turning Circles is completely underrated. I think it would have been a better single than Don't Go if you want to know the truth. I think Don't Don't Go was a terrible choice for the first single. Even though I think it's Definitely. a fine song, but it just was the wrong, it was the wrong song. It should have been, I was gonna say it should have been headed out for the highway, but head out to the highway didn't do well either as a single. I don't understand it. It's such an iconic song. Yeah, Priest has never had the radio success that you would think they're supposed to have as this almost mythical band. It's kind of, you know what it, it reminds me of, you know, Jimi Hendrix was a one-hit wonder believe it or not. And I don't remember what single of his it was like, as far as commercial success goes, that was the song that really propelled him into stardom. And then, you know, that was it, but he is such a legendary guitar player in his own right, that it was only years and years later that he achieved his, his mythic status. But priest has existed for 50 years and they consistently put out great music and they consistently tour and have been active. So I don't like I don't know. It's a very it is strange though, Dan. I got you know, I'll agree with you there. So I'd say really MTV did help them at first. Like mm. you could not be caught dead without seeing you got another thing coming on MTV. It was all over the place. And then ironically, not much from Defenders was on MTV and then Turbo Hit and then you know, Turbo Lover was everywhere on MTV. So yeah. I would say they had a couple of songs. And then, of course, they released Johnny Be Good off Ram It Down, and that kind of killed their whole MTV career. But, you know, you you got another thing coming really did help propel Screaming for Vengeance into that, you know, brilliant, brilliant record and popularity that it became. Even though I'm tired of the song, just like I'm tired of Crazy Train. Sure, I understand. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's like I'm tired of hearing like every song off of Led Zeppelin four. Yeah, that's that's for damn sure. <laughs> oh my god, I get it though. Um, I get it, man. and I, I'm sure the band is tired of playing "Breaking the Law" yeah. night after night. But yeah, I guess they got to do it, you know, because every show is law, someone's first show. Yeah. Breaking the Law, yeah. I gotta be honest, is not one of my favorite priest songs really i was gonna say yeah. i don't get tired of breaking the law I, think the, it's awesome. I, I like it's not that i don't like it it's just of all their hits i think i like breaking the law the least really i think yeah. it's much better than living after midnight really see i have yeah. the complete i dude i was so jazzed when we saw them and they played living after midnight that was one of the best moments of my life that's awesome yeah guys let's listen to the last part of this song and the Absolutely. outro 
So I think some of the best stuff going on in this song is Halford's vocals towards the end, like the last instance of we've all got something wrong to say. And then he just holds the note and really belts it out. Like that part's good for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that is such a great outro. I love that they kind of do that uh, chorus and breakdown, you know, together. You know, and they kind of blend them on the outro. It's really, really cool. And then, you know, Rob is vamping at the end over there. It's it's just a gorgeous song, man. And did yeah, you hear- that reminds me of something like Bloodstone or Nightcrawler, yeah. where they're fading out and Rob is just ad-libbing and throwing out lines. Yep. Agreed. And Dave had that cool little fill at the end there too. I don't know if you guys caught that. I didn't, sadly. Yeah. I'll, I'll be I got my I'll get throw in my a ears clip. for <laughs> There it is. Yeah. Absolutely. This is this was another album that was like a treat for me to listen to for the first time, you know, as my ongoing mission with one of the things, you know, and I say this a lot is we started this podcast partially so that I could get more intimate with Priest's discography. So coming upon a song like this is just a real treat when it happens. And I'm going to add to what Tom said, because I read a quote from Tim Owens he said something pretty similar. He said something along the lines of Judas Priest is painkiller, but Judas Priest is also point of entry and something I loved about the band growing up. Long before he joined the band, he was a fan and he liked that Judas Priest sounded different on every album. You would never get the same thing twice. Dude, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. I was just going to make that point that says, isn't that why we love Priest? You know, they're not, and there's nothing wrong with Slayer. There's nothing wrong with Maiden. There's nothing wrong with ACDC. I love those three bands, three of my all-time favorite bands. But I think what makes Judas Priest special is you don't know what you're going to get. And I think that is amazing. They have never done the same record twice. The closest is maybe Hellbent for Leather and British Steel are kind of close. But even then, there's some differences there. But Overall, I love the fact you can go from British Steel to Point of Entry, then Defenders of the Faith later on to Turbo. I mean, how different are those records? Or even Angel of Retribution when they come back after all these years and they follow up a Nostradamus. I mean, so different. We've established this early on is that, you know, you can't ever accuse priests of being stagnant or pigeonholing themselves, you know? Yeah, the first few songs we talked about on this podcast were Firepower, Metal Gods, Dreamer Deceiver, One Shot at Glory, all very different songs. You guys also did Starbreaker, which is maybe one of them. Another song they never did anything like it ever again. It's so different. Super poppy, too. I love Starbreaker. Starbreaker is phenomenal. There's a reason that we tackled that one early on. Absolutely. Definitely. But I'll be honest, like Rob is out there right now saying that the next album is going to have a lot more progressive elements. 
And I hope it does because I don't want firepower part two. I'm all for it. So here's, I think, the crux of the argument with point of entry. Do you think that point of entry is as strong as other Judas Priest albums in its own way? Or is there just something missing on this album? Because we praise Priest so much about always changing, trying new things. Why should point of entry be any different? Is there just something lesser about it? Uh, What do you think? I absolutely do not think that. I kind of think it's very similar to Turbo. I'm also a big fan of Turbo. And let me tell you, living through it in 1986, when that came out after Defenders of the Faith, it was fucking mayhem with the metalheads. They hated Turbo. But I think Turbo is awesome. I think, you know, I think it's grown on people over the years. It's just not what people are expecting. And I think point of entry is special in its own way. You know, if I want to fucking rock out to Priest, I'm going to put on Painkiller. Let's just be honest, right? If I want to metal it out and really get my aggressions out, I'm putting on Painkiller. If I want to chill, I might be putting on Sad Wings of Destiny. But, you know, if I'm at the gym and I just want to hear a great rock record, I think point of entry fills all of everything I want out of it. There's nothing wrong with the fact that priest has a rolling stones, as Tom said, so eloquently earlier style record. Hmm. And I think it fits the mold perfectly. I'm inclined to agree this. And I can see where you're coming from. We're like, this is a damn good workout album. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's upbeat. All right, Dan, you want to plug your pluggables? Yeah. Let's, uh, First of all, thank you guys so much for having me. Let's do this more. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. I could talk Priest all day. Yeah, They're man. up there as one of my all-time favorite bands. So thank you for, so much for having me. It was a blast. You know, Dude, thank odd, you for coming on, really. Yeah, yeah we thank appreciate you. you and all the great input. And let me tell you, when I ask people, what songs do you want to talk about? And they name one that isn't something I care for. That's always the song that I gravitate towards. Because <laughs> okay, I want to know... Fair if their perspective can change mine. And it's cool because everyone wants to talk about a different song. That's right. Well, did I succeed, George? You did. You know, I'm not sure if Turning Circles is going to become one of my favorites, but I'm certainly seeing it more positively than I did before. The opening riff is fun. The breakdown in the middle is fun. The song's not bad by any stretch. And the lyrics actually have more meaning than you thought. Dude, I'm gonna listen really? to that song. I'm gonna listen to that song the second we're done here. I'm gonna listen to it again. <laughs> Me, too, Me too, absolutely. Fuck well, yeah. if, I, if I could just plug my podcast, thank you guys. If you guys are big Aussie or Sabbath fans out there, please check in and check out Diary of the Madman, the Ultimate Aussie Osborne podcast that I host. We'd love to have you guys check it out. It's all things whatever you can imagine about Ozzy Osborne. Yeah, guys. And the way that Dan and his buddy Josh and their guests get deep into Aussie albums is the same way that we get deep into the Judas Priest material. So if you like Black Sabbath and Aussie, Diary of the Mad Men is your podcast. So we'll have a link to that in our episode description. Don't forget that you can hit us up on Twitter at Metal Gods Pod, and you could shoot us an email, metalgodspodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. And obviously you can listen to it on any, anywhere you're listening to Metal Gods podcast. We are both part of the Deep Dive Network. So you also can absolutely catch 
our podcast as well. And thank you guys again. And like I said, I'm going to hold you to it. We're going to have you on and maybe we're going to do a whole episode on Walk on Water. Just for uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll exactly. have to have my wife on for that episode too. That's her nice. favorite song. Oh, cool. oh awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Until next time, listeners, stay locked in and keep defending the faith. 